Namaste. Dear friends, I am making this recording at the specific request of the people of Orissa, whom I love very dearly, because they are people of bhakti, and this is my way in life. So, I welcome you all, and I will share some experiences today that I have rarely shared with anyone because they are so personal and they are about Mother and Sri Aurobindo. When I first met Mother, it was exactly 60 years ago on November 24th, 1961, Darshan Day. Almost immediately after that, Mother called me to meet her, and I was so blessed to be able to spend almost one hour in her presence. In those days, Mother was still on the second floor. They had not built the third floor. Well, they had built it, but she was not there. She went after 1962. I entered the room, and only Mother was there. I understand, and in my own experience, in future meetings with Mother, Champaklal was always there, or someone else, mostly Champaklal. But this time, for a young man who had just turned 23, it was an extraordinary moment in my life. I saw the Divine Mother sitting there in her high-backed chair, and she welcomed me in with a wonderful, wonderful greeting in French. And uh, I knelt down at her feet, and she began to talk to me about music. I don't remember the exact sequence of things because so much is behind the veil, so much that goes into the psychic being and is not remembered by this rather faulty mind. So Mother spoke to me about music and told me about the some of the great composers of the West, not Indian music, Western music, music that Mother grew up in and with. So Mother then asked me, is the music in you now? And I said, Mother, it is always with me. And Mother smiled and said, not always. And she took it away for a while so she, so she could work on other aspects of my being. I can tell you the next thing that she said was a great surprise to me. In a very, very powerful voice, she said, you must bring down a new music. Oh. I said to Mother, Mother, I don't know anything about combining words with music. And Mother said again in powerful voice, No, no, you must go far above words and bring down the pure music. Well, for 60 years, I have been doing that. 
first beginning with small groups, we had an ashram choir. And in that ashram choir, we wanted to sing to Mother on Christmas Eve. It was an extraordinary thing that we asked to do. And Mother did not reply. So my friend, her name was Marilyn Widman. She was a disciple who passed away here in the ashram. She said, you must write Mother again. I wrote Mother again and said, Mother, we would like to sing to you under your balcony on Christmas Eve. No answer. So I said, all right, I think it's not meant to be. And then Marilyn said, in a very pushy way, you write to mother one more time. You know, I didn't feel that this was a good thing to do, but since Marilyn said it, I, I did write to mother. And mother writes back, I would like you to sing by the Samadhi. Oh my gosh. Manoj Das Gupta, Arup, Lilu, so many of the older ashramites joined me, Tublu, Richard Pearson. Oh, there were so many of them. And what I didn't know was that this would be a darshan. And mother came down into her salon and then opened that small window looking out onto the samadhi. The choir gathered, but there was almost no room because the word had spread that this would be a darshan of the mother, a special darshan. And they just allowed us room to walk in there and the choir stood by the samadhi, looking up at Mother. And I was looking at towards the samadhi. I gave the tones for the first song. The wind was blowing. And it was the worst performance, my friend Dimitri von Morenschild said, he had ever heard. It was pure cacophony. Well, the singers couldn't hear each other because the wind was blowing. What to do? So I turned around and I looked up at Mother and I said, Mother, we are singing for you. Can you believe the rest of the concert, not one wrong note. It was perfect. Well, back to my interview with mother, my first meeting with her. She says to me, would you like to talk or would you like to meditate? Knowing nothing at that time, just having turned 23 years of age, I said, meditate, Mother. And so I stayed at her feet and closed my eyes. And the most extraordinary thing happened. I saw and I felt a fire in my solar plexus, plexus. And that fire continued to grow and grow and grow. And it grew into my heart and it grew into my neck and into my head and above my head, huge flames, but no burning, only heat. And it went on and on. I don't know how long, 15, 20 minutes perhaps. 
And at the end, my whole being, I just started to weep. And I wept and I wept and I wept on her feet. And that was my initiation. I've had many, many meetings with Mother that are so precious to this soul. One time I came with Shamsunder, another time with Richard, another time alone. But the meeting with Shamsunder, I think, was for me one of the great great experiences of my life. Because I'm showing mother these different flowers and I showed her the flower that the sticks of that blossom are used in the I Ching. And mother was very, very interested. And I showed her another flower and she was wondering, do we have, uh, do we have this name for this flower? And I didn't feel that she was totally convinced that this was the name, so I didn't say any more. I showed her another flower. And then things become very, very quiet. And what happened next was something that shall live in my soul forever. Shamsunda said to me, Narad, put your head in mother's lap. And I did so. And mother put her hand on my head. I will never forget that moment. I had always touched mother's feet with my hands, with my head. Somehow I had never thought to to put my head in her lap. Oh, it was such a moment. Four years later, I'm back in America, in my father's home. I'm working with him and one night I fall asleep. And in this dream experience, and I'm going to tell you another one also, Mother said they were both very true experiences. And Pavitra wrote to me and said that he held off showing my letter to mother for a little bit until she had time to read the entire letter. So, my dear friends of Orissa, this was my first experience with Sri Aurobindo. Live, I would say, because it is more real than me looking at you right now. He was seated on his couch and he motioned for me to sit next to him. Can you imagine a young boy of 23? So I sit down next to him and he says something to me like, what a fortunate fellow you are <laughs> to be able to realize all your ambitions. Maybe he said desires, I don't remember which, but I understood it was all of my aspirations for this yoga. And then he takes his hand and he puts it on my solar plexus and on my chest. And I remember that between his fingers 
the strands of his hair touched my chest also. And it was, I, I couldn't do anything but weep. There was such compassion in his voice, such gentleness in his touch. Well, I don't know how long it lasted, but it just as mother changed my life, so did he. This incomparable blessing of the, the Lord, the divine in human form, the avatar. Well, this story is not over because the next night, I believe, or the night after, I believe it was the next night, he came again. And this time, I'm very aware of his home in the subtle physical. It was a beautiful place. It is a beautiful place, and it's his permanent home. And I'm looking at these floors that seem to be shining with gems and light coming from them. And I'm looking at these huge alabaster columns so beautiful. And Sri Aurobindo is walking with two people. And one of them was Nolini. And the other one was Purani. But Purani already had left his body. But there Sri Aurobindo is talking with both of them. And they're walking very slowly. Sri Aurobindo is in the middle of the two of them and he's walking towards me. And as he gets up to me, he says, what kind of a look is that? Smiling, gracious, beautiful Sri Aurobindo. I was very, very angry. I was an angry young man. And I had a lot of anger built up in me. And so I said to him, Did you or did you not come to me last night? And Sri Aurobindo smiled. And then he said, very sweetly, I did. Now, when I sent this letter to mother, it was a long letter because I'm not, I can't remember the whole thing, but I had written it all out. Mother said the experience was very genuine, but she said, don't make a mental thing of it because it could lose all of its force. So, that was my first and second meetings with Sri Aurobindo. Next, one day I'm visiting with Amal Kiran, whom I used to visit very often in the nursing home. And when I wasn't in Pandi, I would send everything they needed for him vitamins every day and he would refuse to take them said they are too bitter and <laughs> the girls would say to him but they have been sent to you by narad and then okay i'll take them and he would take them and once i remember very clearly he got bed sores and they were very serious because he was lying in the bed 24 hours a day. Very rarely he would get up and with great difficulty they would lift him up. And 
they said to me, what can be done about this? So I began to study the whole thing about bed sores and how they could be cured. And I was able to send him a silver oxide ointment. And in three days, all the bed sores were gone. So we used to talk a lot about poetry. I mean, that was his specialty. And he corresponded with Sri Aurobindo for years on Savitri, asking him, asking Sri Aurobindo so many questions and suggesting things which Sri Aurobindo almost never accepted and explained why he didn't accept them. Well, anyway, the problem I faced was poetry was starting to come down into me. And I found that maybe sometimes I didn't receive or even hear properly because what I was experiencing was that the, the lines were coming down so quickly that I had to write very, very rapidly. Now, sometimes maybe I missed a word or something. And I said to Amal, I said, Amal, if you feel a line of poetry is not correct, and Sri Aurobindo says that you should not use your mind to try and improve that line, then what should you do? Amal became very quiet and he said, appeal. Wow, appeal. And then he again said something that has remained with me all these years. If you are patient, there will always be an answer. Imagine that. If you are patient, the Lord will always respond to you. Now, of course, it can't be a silly thing like my son needs to get better grades or I want to get my child married or something. No, it has to be something of great depth. But the Lord will always respond to you. Perhaps it's a health issue. Perhaps it's something that you have to clear out in your being. There will always be an answer. So I thanked him and I began walking down the stairs. And I tell you, I'm on the lower stairs in the nursing home and Sri Aurobindo speaks to me and he says to me, go deeper, go deeper. He said it twice and that's all. And now poetry flows so rapidly that just before I came here for my talk with all of you, I wrote three poems. How can I use the word I? I cannot say that. Three poems came down, and I wrote them as fast as they came down. Now, I will take credit for one thing, my mistakes in either not hearing the word or not transcribing it possibly. But these are supreme gifts of the avatar, Sri Aurobindo. And all my life, I will be grateful to him and all that he has done for me. Now, I want to tell you of the last experience with Sri Aurobindo. I had many, many experiences with mother, but uh, I'll tell you a few of them afterwards if I can recall them sufficiently well enough. 
So here Sri Aurobindo is back. No, he's always in his subtle physical realm. And he's seated in his chair. And he motions me to come forward. And it was so beautiful. I look at him, my whole soul is given to him. And I get very close to him. It's difficult for me to say, say this without tears flowing down. He lets me massage his feet. Some time later, I asked my Upaguru Arabinda Basu, what does this mean? He said very simply, it means you have surrendered to him, but now you have to make the surrender more complete. And that's my work. I'm going to fast forward ahead and tell you about my birthday on July 29th, 1972, just about f 16 months or so before mother left her body. She could not see me that day on my birthday because that was her day with Sat Prem. So she asked me to come on the 28th of July. You know, we had been reading notes on the way that were published in the bulletin four times a year. And we knew that mother was working on the transformation of the physical body. And she had told us that she had already transformed many of the cells in her body. And she said that those transformed cells would go to anyone in the world who was open. So naturally, we didn't want to take much time with mother. I felt, you know, let me go in and take my birthday card thank mother and, and leave. So I went in. And I must say that um, this experience that I had on walking into mother's room was really extraordinary. And another friend of mine, Bob Zwicker, whom many of you may know, he's in the archives, has always had the same experience. When I explained it to him, he said, yes, that is my experience. And what is that experience? When we walked into mother's room, there were no walls. It was vast. It was almost infinity. And it took a long time to reach mother's feet. Now, when I go there, in recent years, I realize in two steps, you're at mother's chair. But then, it was a different experience. So I go before mother, immediately I bow down, and mother gives me a wonderful birthday wish and hands me my card. Mother always sent me beautiful cards. Even when I lived in America, she would have her secretary send me a card every birthday. Now remember this, this is from 1961 to 1973. Always I received a card, sometimes with a beautiful saying, usually from Sri Aurobindo. So I took my card from mother and touched her feet and started to get up. 
and mother says, look at your card. Oh, this was, I never heard this before. So I have to open the envelope and I take out the card. And there she has written on the top my old name and then underneath my new name, Narad. Well, I couldn't stop crying. I must have cried at her feet for 10 minutes, taking all her time. And then I left. Now, I'm going to go back because another thing just came into my consciousness. And that is the beautiful experiences I had in what was called then the soup room, where mother would have a cauldron of soup. She would take a spoonful, she would taste that spoonful, and then give it to a disciple. She would do this over and over again. In those days, that room was open, and there was a sepia photo of Sri Aurobindo. And I would always go there before even I went to the Samadhi. I asked, I asked Aurobindo Basu, why do I do that? And he said, because Sri Aurobindo has installed his presence there. <gasps> so, I would go in, offer myself, bow down, touch my hands and my head to the floor. And he gave me my first poem, only four lines, and I shall share it with you. These are the currents of my life. Engulf them in thy sea, the tangled threads of daily strife reweave to image thee. And that is how my poetry, that is how poetry began through me and in me. Another time I went into that room because there was such a peace there. And that peace was equal to the peace at the Samadhi. But it was a small room, and Mother had been there giving the soup ceremony. Now it's been closed for years, and they don't allow anyone in, which is, anyway. I walk into the room, and I prostrate myself completely. And here is an example of Sri Aurobindo's humor. He says to me, and it's good for the circulation too. When my wife Annie and I were traveling one day, down the Taconic Highway in New York State. It was a blizzard, and the road was like glass, and two ladies had parked perpendicular to the direction of traffic. Brakes wouldn't work, of course, and I couldn't get around them. The car had taken up the entire road and I smashed into their car. They weren't hurt, but Annie went through the windshield, and her face was filled with deep cuts. We were rushed to the hospital, and they began to stitch up Annie's face. I remember Kailas Javeri was with us in the hospital and she stood at the foot of Annie's bed and she saw mother and she says, mother is with you. Well, that night 
I had an experience. That experience was go out and get vitamin E capsules, break them open and put the uh, oil on all the scars. We wrote to mother and mother said, there will be no scars. Imagine that. And there were no scars. When she was completely healed, there were no scars. We recovered $3,000 for medical expenses. Today it would be $3 million. And I wrote to mother. And I said, mother, you have saved our lives. May I send the $3,000 to you? Mother wrote back and she said, why don't you use the money to come to the inauguration of Oroville? Wow. February 28th, 1968. So I bought the tickets and each ticket was $1,500 total $3,000. So we arrive in the ashram and mother calls us almost immediately. We had come and there was a young man with us who was from California and Mother looked at that, at that young man. I remember his name was Isidore. And she gave him this most beautiful smile. And in two weeks he was gone. This was not for him. Then she looks at Annie. And she says, This is not the first time we have met. You have been with me many times, many, many times. This was such a thing to hear from the Divine Mother. And Annie remembered that she had been in Egypt with Mother. Now, Mother turns to me. And sort of surprisingly, she says to me, you don't want to come to Oroville in a few years? I feel you can do something there. I said, Mother, whatever is your will. Well, we went back to America. And I'm going to tell you a very interesting story. I was working in a restaurant. I became the manager of that restaurant. And then one day a gentleman comes to me and he says, my name is Fred Weintraub and I have a restaurant on Bleecker Street in Lower Manhattan. And it's failing. If you will come, I will give you 50% of the restaurant. If you can bring it back to health. Well, how could I refuse that wonderful offer? So I went. Now, in those days, this was the area that most of the hippies came to. It was the area of creative music, of great bands. And I remember these bands. I remember seeing Woody Allen practicing in the bitter end, which was the 
which was just below the restaurant, which was called the Tin Angel. And I remember Neil Diamond practicing and and Fred telling him, you have to do this, you have to do that. I remember Woody Allen giving his monologues there. There were people, there were famous people all around. And I made the restaurant a French restaurant. And in those days, everything on Bleecker Street was hot dogs and hamburgers, and there was no restaurant with great meals. And we became very famous. Andy Warhol, the artist, would come with his group of people, six or seven people, and they would come regularly because they, they loved good food. And, and we would never pay attention to them because they didn't want to be paid attention to. They had plenty of that. We would serve them, be there for anything they needed, and they would come back again and again. People came to review the restaurant, and it was a time when I was making more money than I ever had ever made in my life. In addition to my salary and the percentage of the restaurant, I was making more than $300 a night. And then one night, a voice begins to speak to me. And it says very simply, go to California and help Jyoti Priya with her center. Wow. Jyoti Priya was a Sanskrit scholar. And at the age of 19, she left her parents, who were theosophists, and went to Benares to meet the great swamis and sages there and ask them, was there, what was the secret of the Vedas? And they all told her, these are just stories told by people to their children. They don't really have many, any meaning at all. And she was very saddened by all of this. The night before she leaves, a man comes to her and gives her the typewritten copy of The Secret of the Vedas by Sri Aurobindo. That man's name was Aurobindo Basu. Jyotipriya's legal name was Dr. Judith Tyberg. But when she read this all night long, she says, she said, I have found my guru. And she went immediately to the ashram in Pondicherry. And there she met Sri Aurobindo. He gave her the name Jyoti Priya. Well, the next night, this voice is speaking to me again. Go to California and help Jyoti Priya with her center. And it goes on for a week and the voice doesn't stop. So I write to mother. No answer. Now, three more weeks go by. One month I'm hearing this voice. I write to mother again. No answer. And then after a week, I write to her again because this voice doesn't stop. And mother sends back a telegram. My answer to you was so positive that I thought I had written it. And so I gave up all this money, all this position, and left with my wife for California. 
we found a small apartment to live in and we had almost no money. So I got a job in landscaping. Well, yes, I have to switch back and I have to tell you that uh, mother had, remember mother had told me in a few years. And so I wrote to mother again and Udar answered me. My question was, what does mother want me to do? Does she want me to study in college or do practical work? Udar writes back and says, mother says both. So I had to work almost 18 hours a day. And uh, I'm sorry, that 18 hours a day was an, another time when I just had come back from the ashram in 1962. This time I got a job at a local, at a nursery. Well, it was called the garden center and it was in Hollywood. And all the actresses and actors would come to this garden center because the people there were very knowledgeable. And I would hear from Vincent Price and Gregory Peck and all these famous people. And I loved the work there. Oh, it was, it was such a marvelous place. And at the time, that place just for the land was worth $50 million. Wow. And one day the owner calls me into his office and he says, I have no children and I always considered you my son. I'm getting older and I would like to retire and give you this garden center. Oh my gosh. 50 million. When it sold, I think it sold for over a hundred million dollars. And he wants me to have it. The next day I get a letter from mother and she just simply says, a bientôt. See you soon. Well, it wasn't nine years after all. It was only a few months. Somehow within me, there was no question at all. I gave it all up and prepared to sell the little possessions we had and come to mother. Now, People have heard this, but you may hear something with your ears, but not be able to realize it for various reasons. So mother calls me one day to talk about the gardens. And she says to me, I have chosen all the flowers. In other words, she chose each flower, she chose a flower to be the representative of each garden. Then she says to me these words that I will remember in many lives to come. Quote, about the gardens, quote, it must be a thing of great beauty, of such a beauty that when men enter, they will say, ah, this is it. And they will experience physically and concretely the significance 
of each garden. In the garden of youth, they will know youth. In the garden of bliss, they will know bliss, and so forth. Then mother raises her hand and she begins to create a spiral going upward. And she looks at me and she says, one must know how to move from consciousness to consciousness. And then my interview is over. And another day she calls me and she says, I would like you to begin with the Garden of Unity. And the Garden of Unity is still not completed today because there is no true collective harmony. The most important thing for Oroville to finally develop is collective harmony. And Mother writes in the flower book, which I'm going to talk to you about next, it is possible only for the divine. And we must unite with the divine to find this true collective harmony. In 1968, I brought four huge volumes from the Royal Horticultural Society, their Dictionary of Gardening. And I began to work with my wife at that time, Mary Helen, another lady, Mary Aldrich, and Richard Pearson who is still doing very well in the ashram at care. And what I wanted to do, since nothing was done for many years on the flowers, was create a book with all the flowers mother had named, nearly 900 of them. And so we began to bring a flower, look at it, find it in the Dictionary of Gardening, and get its correct botanical name. Of course, we had Mother's significance. But then we wrote to Mother, and we asked her if she would give a commentary on each flower. And Mother agreed, but she said, I want to see all the flowers before I give the commentaries. Of course, she knew the flowers from France. She knew the tulips and the daffodils and all the Western flowers. So we would bring her flowers regularly, many, many, and then she would give us comments. And I have those comments that Tara has kept and I photographed all of them, or actually she photographed them all, I believe. And some of the papers were so delicate that they had to be, they couldn't be moved. They had to be photographed with a, with a phone. And I've kept those very, very safely. So this book, we asked mother, will you give us a name? And mother said, flowers and their messages. Now, when mother called me to come back, I arrived in December of 1969. And mother put us up in promise. And I would go every day to Oroville, which was then a desert. There were no trees at all. And finally, I found a little spot with about a dozen mango trees. 
and some shade and a canyon at the backside. And it was the perfect place. And I wrote to mother and she gave her blessings. And another fellow who worked with me for many years, a wonderful Japanese-American man, Howard Iriyama. Now, Howard changed his name to Amrit. Now, that place was so welcoming, but it had no water. And we found a water source in a place called the pump house. And we would pump through a, a PVC pipe water all night and fill a small pool that I had built and then water the plants during the day. Mother was with us at every moment. We had to face so many difficulties I can't even begin to tell you. Snakes of all kinds. When we walked to the pump house, there would be snakes crossing the path. And I don't mean <laughs> non-poisonous snakes. I'm speaking of cobras and vipers, two kinds of vipers, Russell's viper, saw-scale vipers, and even crates. So there was very little food, great difficulties, and a desert to eventually build a forest. And I would grow thousands of trees every year. Nurse trees, trees that I got from seeds that the conservators of forests, who were great friends, would take me up into the mountains of the Western Ghats, and they would collect seeds with me and help me so much. They, they, were, they were great people. They were devoted foresters, and I shall revere them forever. Bojacheti, Hussein, Kondas, wonderful men. And they would come and they would write me letters on how beautiful the nursery was and all the plants that I had introduced there. And of course, mother was with us at every moment. And it was a fear, mother was in her physical body, of course. For the next four years, she was with us. So I began to grow very, very beautiful flowers. And I would send them regularly to mother through Tara. And Tara was the contact for the flower names. And mother would tell her those names, mostly in French. I didn't speak any French. And sometimes in English. And I would stand by the samadhi and listen to mother exclaiming about the beauty of these flowers. Magnificent, superb, she would say, and I would listen. Now, when I moved to the nursery, we built a small house there, I would send beautiful flowers to mother. I think I sent at least 60, perhaps 80 flowers that mother named from the nursery. And I'll tell you just a few of them because they're so beautiful. One is called Remembrance of Sri Aurobindo. And it has been close to my heart all these years. Another one was called Joy of Union with the Divine. And it is actually the Italian large leaf basil. And there were so many others. But what I did was one day I filled a van filled with plants that I had collected the seeds of in California. And I had a great group of people who would go with me every week and we would collect seeds f 
for the Matramandya. And I grew these plants and I said, one day, let me go to the Lalbag because I had heard about this wonderful garden in Bangalore, the Lalbag. And I sent, I filled a van with plants and we drove this car to Lalbag and I met the director of the gardens, Dr. Mari Gauda. And Dr. Gauda was so happy to receive them and he wanted to give me a present in return. And what he gave me was about 12 or 15 very special hibiscus with large, large blooms. And they were from Hawaii. So I brought them back and they began to bloom so beautifully that I would send one to mother every day. And mother named them for Oroville. So one of them would be Charm of Oroville. Another would be Realization of Oroville. Another would be another aspect of Oroville. And then one day, Mother said to Tara, we need to have a wider understanding of this flower for the world. So we'll call it also the new creation. So charm of Oroville also became charm of the new creation. Realization of Oroville, realization of the new creation, and so forth. And now, Mother didn't name any other flowers but one and give, gave them two significances. And that one flower was a wild plant that grows all over this area of South India, and Mother named it Miracle. And she changed that miracle to Air of Oroville. And so we know that the air of Oroville is truly a miracle. Now, just the other day, I had an inspiration, actually an intuition, that we are going to do a program after I return from selling my house in America I'll be away for the next three months and maybe I can invite all of you then to view this program. It will be all about the flowers and their messages and we will go into the depths of the flower to understand what it means, to understand how Mother has given it a very special significance that can go directly into your soul. So if you want faith, there's a flower of faith. If you want harmony, there's a flower of harmony. If you want love, there are flowers of love. If you want perfection, etc., etc. And we will take our time and we will go through all these flowers. I have 75,000 photographs of flowers that I can share with you, uh, many of them in the finest quality. And I will be happy to do that. So that's an upcoming program. And I invite you all to continue watching our website, motherandshriarbindo.in, and our two YouTube sites, one simply Richard Eggenberger, and the other one just Mother and Sri Aurobindo. It has truly been an honor for me to speak to you today, and perhaps in the future uh, we'll be able to speak some more about this wonderful new creation that Sri Aurobindo and Mother have brought down entitled
the supramental, and their promise that all of us who have turned to them, listened to their call, will one day realize the supramental and become transformed beings, beings who carry in themselves the supermind in new bodies that are free from death, free from illness, free from all the challenges of life, and we will enjoy a divine life upon this blessed earth, which means so much to all of us. Namaste to everyone in Orissa. I send my love and my prayers to each of you. I ask the Divine Mother to bless you and to protect you and to guide you and to shed her grace and love upon you. And I ask Sri Aurobindo in his great compassion to be with you always. Namaste.